Hello and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This is episode 17. Um, in this episode, we were joined by uh, CEO and co- um, founder of uh, InsurerCore, Peter Clark. Um, Peter is a really good guest. Um, we get into talking to some sort of interesting areas because essentially InsurerCore is a professional social networking platform um, or a professional uh, networking platform for the insurance industry and it's incredibly insurance specific. Um, obviously networking is a key part of what I do in my role in, in recruitment so it's an area that kind of um, I had some interesting opinions on um, and it's very nuanced towards the insurance um, business and um, challenges some of the status quo and, and, and some of the kind of cultural elements of what it is to work in the insurance market um, the interconnectivity, the collaboration, um, and particularly, you know, with, with respect to Lloyd's and the subscription market. So um, really good um, conversation. And, um, I, you know, Peter's a really uh, great guy. He was very brave when he started his business and we find out how he funded his business. And, um, you know, I've got a lot of respect and time um, for uh, anyone that starts a business, but particularly for someone that takes a leap very early. Um, when, we, when he was on that progression trail, um, you know, starting a business when you've just been promoted is, is, is a story I want to hear. So it's a great conversation. Peter's a good guest. I uh, hope you enjoy episode 17 of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Peter Clark of InsuraCore. Um, and I said that correctly because I've been saying InsuraCore for about <laughs> for about for about a month in my head. You're not the only one. Yeah, no. So I'm glad I did that right because I actually got one wrong the other day. With some um, lovely drives from Fortuna AI, um, and and I recorded it wrong and couldn't change it. So um, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, but yeah. Peter, thanks for being a guest. Um, how are you doing? Yes, yes. Well, um, all things considered, I think so. I think we can say nowadays, isn't it really? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, it'd be really useful if you could um, give the listeners an idea of what InsuraCore is and does and, um, yeah, kick things off for us. Of course, no problem. So InsuraCore really is there to help brokers and underwriters communicate digitally around risks and risk appetite. So underwriters upload what they do, um, how they do it, um, who they want to get business from, and then brokers can come on, search and identify carrier markets for their risks. Really, we're trying to help the market build relationships offline. And um, obviously, as much as it is a face-to-face networking business, the way in which we actually create relationships generally relies on personal networks and going on the button, you know, you know that guy, can you introduce me to him? And it, it's very long-winded. And as much as I believe face-to-face is very much needed for the discussion of the risks itself and uh, through the placement process, just knowing who to contact shouldn't have to require you to go out, meet people face-to-face, ask them what they do, can you help out? No, if you can't help out, do you know someone who can? You want to start your conversation off just with the person that can do what you need them to do and then take the face from there and make sure all that face-to-face time is really valuable. Mm. Yeah, perfect. You, you're very practiced at that. It's a very succinct version of it. <laughs> is, 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 is it fair to call it a kind of uh, a social network platform of, of some degree? or? It, well, it, it is a social network. So it's a professional networking platform. You know, yeah. we're far more like your LinkedIn than we are like your um, uh, your Facebooks and like. But again, we do distinguish ourselves somewhat from them. Um, we are industry focused. We only allow um, insurers and uh, brokers 
or specific industry bodies such as you know Bieber, MJA, etc., onto the platform. So you know that you're not going to come onto our platform and be bombarded by, let's say, recruitment or <laughs> other providers who maybe uh, dominate the other the other media channels. Um, so really, when you log onto Insurical, you are seeing a new feed that that feed is coming from. You know the underwriters you work with, uh, the peers in your market, you know your other colleagues, and what we really found was your LinkedIn feed. It, the way in which LinkedIn um, rank content and push content towards you is not necessarily the best thing for you. It's the best thing maybe for LinkedIn and their thought leaders and the, the people who are making money out of the bank. But for a broker who really just wants to see what their underwriters are doing, what they're updating, where they're moving to, and you know what's going on really in their market, it's very difficult to cut through the noise on LinkedIn. Mm. So that's the way, way we distinguish ourselves. And also, obviously, as much as we want to help people connect, we know that insurance, you don't necessarily want to get business from everybody. A lot of people have, you know, they have their TOBRA agreements. They can only work with certain groups of people. You know, if you're annoyed, you can only work with brokers. And so we have made it so you can very quickly go, right, that I want to network but with this group, not necessarily the wider uh, insurer core network as well. So it's very, very targeted, very specific networking, specifically for insurance. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, I, I think... It was predicted. Um, I, I love watching Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've ever. You, you, I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you might do, but he. I mean, he's been predicting for a long time that that you know the social networking sites have just got too big. So the natural progression of that is smaller, specialised kind of networking spaces for um, things like insurance. Um, yeah, there is actually one. Yeah, you could argue that there's actually one for recruitment as well, which which follows a similar kind of purpose. Um, yeah, because because I mean, one of the challenges with LinkedIn is is that's how it makes its money. You know, recruiters are the people paying. I'd, I'd, I'd blush telling you how much you have to pay for the the, the full access, but um, we research their pricing model. Yeah, well, there we go. Right, it's 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 you could buy a reasonable secondhand car for the price of it yearly, right? And um, it's look, it's a good tool. It's effective. Um, but it does mean that their pricing kind of mechanism makes it, yeah, less palatable for people that are not looking for a new job or not looking to hire in that marketplace. Um, obviously, you know, the networking's got better. There's better quality. Um, I'm a big proponent of you really won't hear from me unless I think I've got something useful to tell you. Uh, but it actually comes back to your point. That, that useful to tell you is by understanding my clients, understanding their appetite and only talking to them about things that fit that. Um, but I can only find that out by speaking to the face-to-face. <laughs> so you're cutting that out for the broken and underwriting community? Um, well, you're cutting it out, um, enhancing, uh, we like to think. You know, we're that sort of follow-up. You know, if you do go to a conference, you do get a number of contacts there. You know, you can come onto Insurable, add them as contacts in the Insurable, look at their profiles, see what class of they do, filter them down, put them into what we call contact groups. Mm-hmm. And from those contact groups, you can then send out Targeted follow-up messaging, whether it is your latest key facts, whether it is that high there, lovely to met you. But it just gives you that continuous engagement. Mm. You know, um, obviously going forward, back in the day, the great thing about London, you can walk down the street, oh, hi Dan, haven't seen you in a while. Wanted to talk to you about that type thing. Now, obviously, we do believe that's going to come back, and obviously, fingers crossed, you know, I'm a big propaganda of London market and what, what that brings. But at the same time, I don't think we're going to get the same. Um, you know, with the increase in remote working. There will be the socials, but it's not going to be on that everyday type of thing. So this just really allows you to go on, you know, every day, see what Dan's up to a little bit, you know, Dan's your main underwriter, maybe engage with some of your stuff so he sort of knows that you're still listening and, and you're still engaging. 
And that way, obviously, that relationship can be better maintained. We do it in our social lives constantly. You know, we don't, Facebook hasn't replaced us meeting our friends. No, no. <laughs> we don't go, I'm not going to pub while he's chatting online. No, but at the same time, it has allowed us to maintain better contact with a wider network of friends. And that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, I saw a study that said that the social media platforms were dangerous only if they were kind of utilizing, replacing social interaction. But if they were used to enhance, you know, save time, basically organize for offline uh, interaction, and then, then they were massively beneficial. Um, you know, we're, we're about to bring in a scheduling feature. So you come into Insure Call and you can schedule a meeting with somebody, you know, if you, if you think that's relevant. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to say, you know, yeah, everything has to be done digitally, never see the guy and you know, sit in your sit in your man cave and just type away. You know, we do believe getting out there and talking to clients is the best way you can deliver. Well, sorry, talking to underwriters is the best way brokers can deliver for their clients, you know, and building those relationships. Mm. But getting to that point where you know who to speak to yeah. <laughs> it, it is obviously can be very tiresome. You have a lot of shoe leather of going around, excuse me, do you know anyone? I mean, I used to have brokers come up to me when I was an underwriter. And if we couldn't do a risk, the next question was, do you know anyone who can? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to send them for the next guy and off their drop. And you know, they, they would do those tours of the market. That's where we want to make sure it's just cutting out all of that and going straight to the person who knows at least interested in quoting, if not um, quoting to your levels. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's more efficient, as you say. Um, so you obviously worked in insurance, you know, you mentioned it there. Could, could this have been built by someone who wasn't from insurance? I, I personally don't think so. Um, but then I would say that. Um, but I think you know the the nuances and complexities behind the insurance market are really what have inhibited this from happening before. So when we started looking at, obviously there's been some time from going in. How, how are we going to do this? You know, you're trying to take underwriters and brokers from multiple different sizes of company, types of company, from MGAs to concert brokers, retail brokers across all classes of business and the differences between classes of business and the terminology used. And you know, if you want to have a platform which is simple to use, it's quite generic, but then someone can use in construct commercial combined can come on and do a search for following. Even someone in marine can come on, you know, do it using very different terminology. And so trying to make that matching work and all that, it has required us to really work very closely with the uh, market, um, uh, what, what do you call them, market institutions as such, so if your Beavers, um, your MJs, your Leavers, uh, et cetera. And by, so really engaging with the market and being able to speak their language to them is the only way we've really sort of muddled our way through this and sort of come to sort of conclusions. And obviously, the court have been great in helping with the standards as well. But yeah, I think without us having our context in the market, knowing who we knew, knowing the language that we need to speak in order to get people to understand what we're trying to get at, it would have been a lot harder for us. Yeah, no, completely understand that. Do you think... Um... Uh, well, actually, no, let's take it back. How did, how did you start the business? How long were you in insurance before before you thought there's a better way of doing this? <laughs> I had my first job in insurance when I was 16 during my summer holidays. I worked for a local MGA in my hometown. Um, my dad worked there, so rather than have, have one of my holidays, he thought it'd be better for me to come in and become chief scanning officer, as I used to call myself. And my <laughs> job was to take the policy documents that were obviously sent in at that time by fax and post. Yeah. And scan them in and save them to the correct files. So, anyway, we had a digital version. <laughs> so, you know, from, from, from the off of my sort of career in insurance, I sort of saw the, let's say, archaicness with which some practices were being performed, you know, and literally my job all day, every day at a scanner. And you feel, 
you know, as a young guy, why are they faxing? Why do you have to get this by post? You know, what's wrong with an email? Um, so, so then I went to Oxford University, came back and, you know, with experience in insurance, my brother in insurance, my cousin in insurance, I thought it would make sense. So, you know, my cousin at the time was working in a company, got work experience. I came into London Market there on the back of that, got a job. Um, so I started an accident health, assistant uh, underwriter. Uh, did that for a year and a half before moving into construction engineering and then worked my way through the sort of an assistant underwriter, um, underwriting assistant ranks. Yeah. Just about got to underwriter when I decided that yeah, this is just, there's got to be some way in which we can network better. You know, there were, there were so many instances when I saw the value of people's personal networks and how that got us through situations. Mm-hmm. You know, we could launch a business on the back of one guy's contact to this guy, you knew that guy, and he could introduce us to him. And at the same time, I also saw the fact that brokers were coming to me not fully understanding our appetite. And when questions on it, they're like, we go- we're Googling it, you know, and we've got your old fact sheet. Oh, that's fact sheets out of date. Let me send you the, the latest one. But a lot of our time was being wasted, the risk we couldn't do. And then the risks that we could do, some, some of them we weren't seeing. I mean, one example we had, we had a renewables energy team and uh, recently set up, had a broker we've been working with for about a year and a half. You know, he'd been working with the company for longer than that. Uh, and he's sitting next to me, we're doing a standard construction risk. And he just goes to me, I've been having a nightmare every day. You know, I've got this renewable energy risk, haven't been able to get a market for it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. I said, well, have you spoken to one of guys? He goes, oh, you've got an energy team. Like, yeah, they sit behind me. How, how do you not know this? And he said, well, why would I know that? You know, I know you boys in the construction team. We go out, we have drinks all the time and we know it. But, you know, I haven't been introduced to them. And I was thinking, well, yeah, what have we done? So I talked to the guys and we've done a LinkedIn post, you know, just launched this new renewables energy product, but who had that reached? At the yeah. time, again, LinkedIn wasn't as being wasn't as commonly used in the insurance market, so it's difficult to actually get an audience on there. But apart from that, we were waiting for a conference where we were going to do a big announcement. Mm. And um, you know, we were missing business at the end of the past in the past, and yes, we wrote it. Yeah. You know, that business would have otherwise, if it wasn't for pure luck, come somewhere else. And so I just noticed this this lack of communication. That was going on between us and them based on what we wanted and even internally you know you had one underwriter who would do one thing and another under who wouldn't touch it because you had a bad loss against it now mm. if you're coming in from an external brokerage you don't know if you get you know, timber frames buildings you know, you've got to take it to andy say because you know a bit like, yeah, you wouldn't touch that type of risks now that type of understanding comes from 35 years of hitting the market going out talking to people getting to know them what they're like, you know, presenting them risk after risk and just generally building that that understanding up. And to me, I just thought that there's something we could do that could speed that up a little bit and put that type of knowledge in the hands of, say, a 21-year-old broker. You know, that doesn't mean they can broke as well as a 30 years in the market. You know, there is a skill to broking, I think, presenting a risk, gathering the information, work, managing your client. But just knowing who to go and see with what risk to get the capacity you need shouldn't be... You know, something you've done for thirty years. It should just be yeah. in the office. Yeah. So, yeah, I started looking at what else was out there. And there was a book called The Clues Insurance Buyers Guide. It was a yellow pages style book referring to the Bible of insurance that was being sent out to everyone. I just thought we can't be a market that relies on a yellow pages style book when you know the rest of the world is moving on. Mm. So. I, so we looked at LinkedIn, realised LinkedIn wouldn't work for us. Firstly, the underwriters wouldn't manage their own profiles well. Um, so it was too much of an onerous thing to keep chasing them, to keep getting them to put out stuff. We found that trying to reach people, they, we just didn't weren't reaching the right people with the right messages. Um, didn't have the right audience on LinkedIn. 
And we, we found that, you know, if you put stuff out on LinkedIn, everybody knows. And so I'm not continuing to my drugs. They don't want to announce their very detailed risk appetite to the whole market. They want to let their brokers know. They want to let their, their competitors know. And so we designed an insurer call really at the back of sort of those types of phases in the market. And, um, yes, quit my job, sold my house, and, you know, I am five years on. Wow. Well, that's a big move. You sold, did you sell the house to fund the business? Is that was that? Did, yes, yes. Wow. So, time, obviously, anything that you mentioned, you want to go on to investments later, but building a network is probably one of the hardest and sort of longest term things you can do. You know, getting that critical first, you're getting the chicken egg on there, getting brokers on there when there are no underwriters, getting underwriters on there when there are no brokers. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get over that hurdle, then you've got to get to spot the scalability where there's value to both sides. And only once you get there, can you really then start to look to, to monitor. So we knew we had a long journey ahead. We knew we had to do a lot of the legwork ourselves. We knew we had to run lean for a long time, you know, keep our costs low and just make sure we got the product right and then just not getting ourselves out there. So working with the likes of the big networks, Bieber, MJA, et cetera, helped us massively. And then getting our products out there. And from there, we've managed to hit critical mass and uh, obviously COVID and uh, the um, pressure on insurers now to adopt solutions such as insurer cause obviously sped that all on a fair bit as well. I was going to say this this must be an absolute boom for you this year. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I do feel slightly guilty, and yeah, we've done we've done well during it, but at the same time, you know, we're we're quite pleased that we've managed to help the market during this otherwise you know difficult period. You know, you, you hear about a hard market um, going on in the moment, well, hard mean market at least depending on who's speaking, and. Um, you know, it's very difficult to broken every at that. You know, insurers are pulling out class of business all over. You've got syndicates changing what they do with the performance reviews coming in. Um, MGA is launching or having the capacity withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine, as we were saying before. If you are in the mix, you know, you're seeing your friends regularly, you're keeping a, you know, your fingers on that sort of pulse. But how can you do that now in lockdown? So we have been able to provide brokers with that sort of alternative, right? You've had your capacity pulled here. Is there an alternative market over here? And bits and pieces like that. So, yeah, although, sort of, like you say, you always feel guilty when you're doing well when everybody else is suffering, okay, we're glad we've been able to sort of be in this position to help. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I appreciate that. So you never want to be the person that profits out of the, you know, the, the difficult circumstances. But, you know, the nature of the beast is, I was watching a thing that said yesterday that the that, that retail, um, online retail has basically grown a percent a year since kind of its adoption. And in the last this year it's gone up 27 percent against you know and so you've had a decade's worth of growth in one year um and and the real realistically that will go back somewhat when when you know vaccines are there and everyone's out and about but it will never go back completely you know that it's just shifted the dial and and i suspect you know in a way it's quite good that you've had people forced onto this platform because i don't know about what your view on this is but you build a platform like this and you can sort of guess how people are going to use it. But there's a little bit of the market will kind of dictate how it wants to engage with it, I would suspect. Have you, have you kind of found that? Or Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, as you say, it's the same with every product that you build. You know, you make assumptions of, you know, we build this, oh, they're going to love that. And then so that bit that you think is going to be great is never used. And then the thing yeah. that you thought was just a little nice add-on, you want to plug bloody brilliant and then turn on that. And, uh, so yeah, we're definitely seeing that and we're adjusting the platform constantly. You know, we have a very sort of short release time between releases just so we can, you know, keep updating it, keep making sure we're 
present promoting the, the, the products and features that our clients are using and the ones that aren't we just sort of looking at do we need them if not we change them to, to make them work better um but yeah and even in terms of the notification feed you know we were i'm sure people would use that would they start doing personal posts would it all just be sales and about the company would it be video based would it be you know people sharing wordings pdf so watching that develop out and how people have used that has been very interesting and you know how the brokers have started using it and you know we've had a number of people come on and go look got this risk don't know where to place it can anybody help you know and then you've had three or four people come back on and, and that's the kind of type of community help you want to build in there you know yeah you I mean, I see the post quite often on linkedin but you know, there's a broker posting that you can't find a market for a risk on LinkedIn, maybe it's a bit public. You know, so that's where we really want these to come in, sort of very niche forums, very targeted audiences. You know that people you're speaking to probably can help, um, or at least maybe know someone who can. So, uh, yeah, it has been interesting to see that growth. Uh, I, I have no doubt it'll change again. Yeah. Um, come on. What I like about it is it, this is democratisation of it, um, of, of the market, because one of the challenges is, you know, you touched on at the start that your cousins in insurance, you know, you know, families in insurance. And, you know, I, I happened into the insurance market, as most people do, because there happened to be a really big RSA office in my hometown um, and they did an open day and uh, I turned up and was none the wiser. Um, if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have known anything about it, but then you get into the market and you're like, oh, you know, my dad works in insurance and my brother works in insurance. And, and it's, um, I like that about it. That's a positive about it from a community aspect, from, but from a kind of um, opportunities perspective, because it's a great industry to work in, that's, that's not great. So anything that moves it towards sort of doing, being democratised and not cronyism or kind of, um, you know, even down to your clients getting the best, you know, getting the best price for their risk or getting the best coverage for their risk, you know, that you don't really want to rely on your broker's five greatest drinking buddies to, to get the best price. <laughs> yeah. that, that does seem to be the way it goes. And I think, you know, people do underestimate sort of, well, it's the value of the network, you know. So, you know, my first day in the market, I was taken out by my cousin who said he had four years experience in the market. My brother joined us. He's, he already had five, six years experience in the market. They're bringing a few of their colleagues along so almost my first day, I sort of started to build my network and started to grow that out. And that did result in me getting business from those guys. You know, they were because I was an underwriter at the time. And so you know, that network benefited my career and it did give me a leg up. And I do believe that benefited me over people who maybe didn't have the same family connections as myself. Oh. So that that the power of that uh, network was really what helped me set up insurance calls. This should be available to everyone. Everyone should know who to speak to, how to speak to them. Mm. You know, I had an underwriter next to me, um, young, uh, young, well, young, obviously older than me, Tom, more experienced than me, probably better underwriter than me, but people would come to me because they knew me, because I was out and about and all that, you know, whereas because she didn't go out as much, you know, she wasn't part of the boys' group, let's say, she didn't miss out on opportunities of receiving risks. And again, I just don't think that is how the market should work, as much as I enjoy it working that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that's one of the challenges, isn't it? I mean, one of the challenges is for change. And, I, and I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is like how, how much do you think people and culture drives, drives or prevents change? Um, and I think in our insurance market, there's a lot of it that's, that's about prevention of change because it's quite, it's, quite nice, it's quite a nice lifestyle the way it all works at the moment, you know? I, I, would, I would say it's 100% down to culture. I have actually sat in meeting rooms where he goes, look, I think this is a great idea. But I really hope this um, doesn't kick off while um, before I retire. Yeah, no, I'm not going to use it now. <laughs> so, 
I mean, I wish you all the best when I'm out of the market. I hope it kicks off, but not until then. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there is that, you know, this isn't how I work. This isn't how I want to work. Um, you know, and I absolutely understand that you've been doing a job for 30 years one way. You know, well, not one way, but, you know, you've even have done in that time. But my favourite example of this is sort of really sort of show that, you know, technology isn't the solution. It really is culture. Culture change, at least anyway. Because, so, look at Lloyd's. The percentage of business that they say, um, so the cost of doing business in Lloyd's back in 1970 was 40% of premium. Now you fast forward to 2017, right? And it was 39%. In that time, you've had the invention or the proliferation of the internet, personal computer, the iPhone, tablet, you know, huge leaps in technology that, you know, in the rest of our life have completely changed how we work. And yet that's say 1% of your insurance. Yeah, you know. Now, if we're really looking to cut costs in this market, technology. Yeah, I mean, I, no one's going to invent something better than the internet, are they? Or a personal computer? I can't see that some insured tech coming out with an iPhone style gadget that could revolutionise what we do in that way. And yet, where are we going to see the cost savings coming from? It has to be a change in culture there, because that's the only thing that hasn't changed in that time, and let's get those costs high. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my sort of 50 cent on it. No, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, I, I work in a market, it's very similar to broking. You know, at the end of the day, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the piece in between people who want to hire and people who want jobs or, 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 you know, or the best talent. And there's definitely a part of me that rebels against certain kind of technology. You know, just, just natural. But you have to take a step back and go, okay, which ones of these are actually going to help me do my job better? And, and the way I look at it is that if you're taking the wasted time away, you can concentrate on things that add value. And if you're concentrating on the bits that add value, you know, maybe it's some more complex risks where you have to have a face-to-face meeting and you have to kind of, you know, get involved. And it's just taking away the kind of schlepping around the market for some pretty kind of vanilla risk that can just be placed, you know, pretty easily. So, yeah, I, I'm totally on board, but, but I totally understand if you've spent 30 years just having a really nice, comfortable life or, I know, I don't even, that's probably unreasonable. You're doing your job well, you know, it is, or has been a profitable business. I mean, I'm in recent years can, you know, might be a bit of a blemish, but these guys have been doing the job well for, 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 for many years. And, um, you know, when there's no burning platform, why change? You know, if you're not doing anything wrong, you know, I mean, obviously we didn't have the same um, pressure put on us um, as a banking um, sector did, you know, from the financial crisis. And we had to have actually got reinforced after the 2008 crisis with additional capital because people saw interest as a safe market. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah. it was something, you know, we've been doing very right for a long time. And I think the stability and the fact that it's traditional almost adds to that fact that it is a quite a stable business. It doesn't move too quickly. You know, <laughs> it's going to be there next year to pay your claims. That's quite a nice part of the market. But I do think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, I think COVID has put a bit of a burning platform on it. You know, there are huge losses that are going to come out of this. It will be putting pressure on balance sheets. Although there will be far more, um, I think a lot of people will be putting more money into insurance. I don't think that's going to stop it hardening. I don't think that's going to stop people really looking at their operational costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do think this has been that catalyst that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree. I mean, it, it needed to happen. And, um, you know, I, I always say, I mean, one of my questions to you is, 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 is what does innovation mean to you? 
Um, because because I always say that innovation, if you'd, if you'd said last year you were going to allow all of your insurance firm staff to work remotely, that would have been innovative. So it doesn't have to be technology, but I feel like it's been hijacked by technology. But you know, what does it mean to you, that word? Yeah, so for me, innovation is looking at something you're doing and seeing if you can improve upon it in a, in a, in a simple format. You know, I mean, when I was... Uh, Chief scanning officer, I was saying, you know, there was, yeah, I started off, you know, doing it one at a time, and then by the end of it, I figured out if I could just get a little um, tab between each one of the, the scanning bits, I could pull that out just as it went in, and that would help me yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit faster. That, that's innovation, you know, it's just looking at what you're doing and going, look, this is what we're doing, why are we doing it? Is there a way we can do it better? Do we need to do it at all? You know, it's asking the questions about what you're doing and seeing if there's a better way. Yeah. Um, I can't describe it as anything better than that. I mean, people talk about you know yeah, innovation sort of when, in terms of the grand in the innovative things that have changed the world and everything. But it's innovation in daily life. You know, just if you look at your job every day, you go right. What can I improve this? And you know, what can I do better? What can I sort of replace and you know automate or you know improve upon? And what do I just have to do? And just the more you can just focus on the stuff that is just human led going forward. And, you know, <laughs> I think the better you're doing your job, man. And I think anyone can be innovative and anyone can do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that speaks to kind of what we were talking about earlier as well, is that it, it's people and culture, you know, that that's, that has to be the building block for change. You know, if, if, you, if you haven't got a, a culture where people are invited to have their say. So, for example, if you've got someone in the office who is the chief scanning officer and they have as much right to have their say as anyone else, um, I, my um, uh, my former partner used to work in this PR and stunt agency, and one of the used to, the things I used to like about them is that when they had their brainstorming ideas, so they'd have these big product launches, and they did the new VW when they first launched their SUV. I can't remember what it's called now, the Touareg or something. The big thing was that they, it was powerful enough technically; it could, you could pull a jumbo jet. Um, and they used to have these brainstorming offices, and it was the girl on reception when well. Why don't we get it to pull a jumbo jet? You know, if it can pull a jumbo jet, let's get it to do that. And they were like, brilliant. And that became the campaign. But if they hadn't, if they hadn't had the culture of inviting everyone in, they would have they would have missed out on that, you know, bit of an open goal of a of a, <laughs> of a PR. Well, isn't it? But you know, I think that's exactly. I mean, I think the big issue in the market is you know, we there's a lot of kids. Well, I say kids. <laughs> I don't know if I can class myself as one anymore. And all the younger guys doing the market and me sort of fading out a little bit but um it's very difficult obviously when you're in the market to have your voice heard the young age you're told you come in and literally you're given a process and you're like right this is you you follow that process and then just watch what i do and you know as much as i've got so much value out of shadowing an underwriter and following what they did and there is there does need to be that sort of stepping stone progress within your career and especially when you're in insurance you know you're learning such a niche Thinking with you know, construction, you're not learning insurance, <laughs> you're learning everything about construction and how that affects insurance. You know? So, mm. having someone who's been there and done it before, you know, is very difficult to find, very rare, but also very, very useful in your career. But there is a very much pecking order within that where you have to get to a certain it's dead man's shoes going up. Yeah. And if you've got, if you cut your teeth enough times and you've got 10, 15 years' experience in the market, you followed your processes and you've done well, 
then you sort of start to get your say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the issue you have with that is by the time you have your say, you're already so um, blinkered and in that processes, in that in this sort of the idea of those processes and how it's done, it's very difficult for you to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the big issue we have in the market where we're always taking young kids and we're sort of breaking them into the insurance mold so early on and forcing them through that. That but, you know, I know kids who are sort of five, six years into the market and they're like, no, it doesn't need change. No, carrying this bit under this cases, you know. Yeah. They're going home playing Call of Duty with friends all over the world and yeah, every other part of their life, they're digital. But they're now throwing going to say you've got to, you've got to take it in house and I'm going to write on a piece of paper if I don't take it in. You're thinking, well, it's happened. You know, but yeah, so I, I think you know, given given younger guys more of a say now, you know, I don't expect them to all be running company. I'll tell you right now, you know, I started this when I was twenty five. I think you should need a lot of experience when you're running a company. So leave that to those guys, but at least listen, you know, at least start to sort of engage and go right. Well, look, this is how we plan it for the hobbyists, but the next generation is doing it like this. Why don't we look to start now? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, I so let's, let's take it back then. You were saying about um, you sold your house to start the business. So I was going to ask your kind of views on investment. You know, do you think, I mean, doesn't that's, I suppose that's technically in the bootstrapping vein. I always think bootstrapping sort of makes it sound a bit more, I don't know. If you sell your house and you do well on it, then you're bootstrapping it, but you've still maybe got a decent pile of cash to work with, relatively. Um, but let's assume, let's put it in the bootstrapping category. Do you think that's important to a business, or is that how you did it, or did you get any other investment as well at the same time? We got investment. So when we went to Lloyd's Lab, we got a significant portion of investment. Um, obviously, we need to get the platform from being what was really an MVP prototype, you know, just a show it does his work and we're working a number of sort of companies from the market who knew that but when we're going into Lloyd's you know we had to make it a bit more robust so we started basically building it again but we built it with three things in mind just um, stability security and scalability yeah and by starting with that base obviously we've now got a very solid platform that we can we can make up changes to it left right and center without really damaging the core code um, and that's helped us quite a lot as well but we needed to do that at the right time. If we'd done that from the off, we'd have spent a lot of money going down the wrong route. Yes. You know, we needed to make mistakes early. And, you know, people say, you know, oh, it's a fail, fail fast and all this. And it, it really is key, but it's failing fast for a reason and knowing why you're failing and then being able to figure out how not to fail next time, you know. Failing fast doesn't really help anybody. <laughs> it's, it's a qualitative assessment of why you failed and how you failed type thing. Yes. Um, so we really started off with that. And we, we just, we, we chucked out um, a very basic platform with, you know, put in some appetite details and you've got a search in the back. Right. Then you go into people, why wouldn't you use it? Well, and we only work with a guy type. We don't want everyone to know. Right, how do you build invisibility restrictions? So oh, yeah, you, you can play around with those little bits, you know, you might break a little bit here and there which is fine, but at least you're getting that learning and you're getting in front of people. Once we'd done that and we'd got to the point where we had a robust platform, you know, we'd accepted into the lawyer's lab, we knew what we were going to go through for the next few months in terms of scaling out the functionality because we got that feedback before. And so we were happy to spend on, you know, expensive developers and the right type of infrastructure and everything else like that. But I would say, you know, whatever, however well thought out you think your plan is and you think your idea is, until you put it in front of the client, and get their feedback, you know, put it on multiple clients and get their feedback. You just don't know what you're doing is right. Mm-hmm. 
You know, mm-hmm. you can make assumptions till the cows come home. Um, so yeah, that, our theory was just get something in front of people, get them looking at it, get that feedback. And then once we believed that we knew at least the core was right, build that and then obviously we can then start plugging things in and growing out in different segments as led by the users coming on. Yeah. What was the, the who's the founding team? Yourself and... The, the founding team was the founding myself and then um, I had um, my actually ex-colleague um, come join me, Sam Kerry. So he's been with me from pretty much the off. I think he's about eight months into the into the journey. Um, at the time we were, I mean, in, in terms of development, we've done we've done a number of things. We had one guy who was building it for us. We then invited away to him to go to uh, another company. Which, so we're in India, which worked quicker, but then we decided we wanted a base over in the UK, so we brought it back over here. Um, so the dev team, we've always kept external until really we got the big investment. It just meant we gave us a flexibility to get rid and everything else like that when we needed to, as we needed to. Um, and it also mean we didn't have to spend all that time building the infrastructure, figuring out how to train dev, build them up, make sure the infrastructure is right, etc. So that's how we started off. Now, obviously, we've brought in a full-time CTO who manages our whole tech stack. We have our own developers, etc. Um, but again, taking all that sort of stress of the development away from the business and just passing it on to someone else allowed us to just spend all of our time in front of clients. Um, and that, I think, was what we needed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other team, their members, Joe joined us, I think, about 18 months in. Um, and then we had John um, just before the Lloyd's Lab. Um, and then Michael was non exec and he moved in to work with us. Um, we just recently brought on uh, John, new sales director as well. So even now, we've kept it lean. You know, we haven't felt the need to push too much yet because, again, we are still learning. We've got the most of the UK market uh, really engaged with the platform at the moment. but that opportunity to, to scale this out again, we don't need to do much apart from listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really how we see it. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, one of the questions I ask people is like, the, you know, should all change be driven by the customer? Um, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tell you before, if you asked insurance what they wanted from innovation, they just had a faster scan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of time, you know, people don't know, what they, they, don't, they don't even know they have problems a lot of the times. Now, I know that's sort of quite an arrogant thing to say, but, you know, a lot of the time, as I say, any thinkers are on, you've been doing it for so long, you don't know what else is out there, you don't know this technology is possible, really. So, you know, sometimes you do just have to come in and just go, look, we've done this, and they'll go, oh, but I wouldn't do this, and you go, well, what that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they start dreaming and they start seeing the bigger picture, but you've got to leave them there. You know, generally when someone looks at a platform, it's like, yes or no, right? They'll look at it and go, will this work for me, yes or no? Trying to take them down that route of, this is what it is now. But what do you think about, you know, if we did this or did that, it's a very difficult skill, you know, because they, 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 they're a client. They want you to come in, bitch, can you solve a problem of mine? If not, I've got other things to do with my life, you know. They don't want to spend their time working with you, giving you ideas to build your platform out to make you money. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say you have to go in there, telling the client, this is what we've done for you. And then they'll tell you yes or no. You might get a few wise hows, but then you've got to go away. You've got to be the innovator. You've got to come up with the solutions to their problems. Um, You know, I think if you rely too heavily on your clients coming up with their own solutions, then you sort of, firstly, they'll not be looking at it from a commercial perspective. 
<laughs> they were looking at what, what makes it better for me. Um, and yeah, a number of other things. Now, as I said, you have to listen to them. You have to be responsive to them. But I don't think relying on them to come up with ideas to solve the, your problems and why your, why your company isn't innovative enough is not the way to go. No, no, I, th- I think that's so true. I mean, um, yeah, the, yeah, I always use, I love the old Henry Ford quote, you know, ask them what they wanted, they'd ask for a faster horse. And, you know, it's, it's exactly, exactly as you said. And, but it goes back to that fast fail thing, but it's, it's fast fail, but it's on small things, isn't it? I think, I think people think when you say fast fail, they think, oh, the whole business or the whole product's like, no, it's like, a product, a product tweak, or uh, you know, we've moved this over here. Is this better? You know, no. Okay, we'll move it back. <laughs> you know, it's like very quickly you can adjust those things. I've tried, I've had a few punts on sort of recruitment things because a lot of people moan about. Um, yeah, it's not the most popular industry, right? So we know that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I know. So us lawyers, estate agents, um, you know, but. You can't blame it all on the client if you're if you if you don't do anything different. So you've got to try things differently, and some things work and some things don't. And 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 you 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 proposition something. Okay, that doesn't work for anyone. Let's try this thing. But it's only when you try them then you can get feedback because otherwise, you know your your client's framework of what the service is is defined by what you deliver. So if you just if you're not changing anything, then then how's the customer going to know there's a different option out there? I think this is a mentality that needs to go on across most big businesses. You know, we as a small business get about in that. You know, you've got the sort of the big competitors out there for your sort of CRM system, Salesforce type spot type thing. Um, you've got your sort of your Slack and your um, Trellos and your organizer things and your Mondays and all that come into it. And all these platforms are pros and cons. You know, they're slight innuations. People come to them from slightly different angles. You know, they're all trying to have their USB. Now, you as a company, need to be able to try all of them to figure out which one best suits you. You know, we went through Monday, we went through Trello, we went through this, you know, and we just picked them up, we used them for six months, what do you think? Anyone like it? No, right, sorry, not that one. Let's try the next one. And we just iterated, we tried the new things and eventually we found the ones we liked, we found the ones that worked. Generally ended up being a combination of a couple of bits, you know, because they had a feature we liked, so we just used that for that, but we generally worked on this one. And the ability to do that with modern technology is as big as that. You know, it's not like you're buying into a three-year contract where, you know, you're stuck with them and if they don't provide the sort of support you need or anything, you're you know, trying to get all your data off that platform and migrate it across is a thing that we're going to bring in consultants. You know, it's literally, we just sort of flicked it off, migrated data, flicked it on. Yeah. And most platforms are laughing this nowadays and trying to get that across to the market that just like, give it a go. Like, oh, well, if it doesn't work, well, so you've wasted a little bit of time, but you might have saved a lot of bit over here and, you know, Mm. All right, you might not find the right one for the first try, but you know, keep trying to do one new thing a month. Just try one new platform a month, and just have the team just make sure we do three hours or four hours on it in that month. And at the end of the month, you have a review. Should we ever use it again? No, you've wasted a bit of time, but you've got to learn a new product. You know, that is skills in itself. You know, all these sort of UI UX are generally converging into user experiences that everyone just can understand and so the more you yep. get to use these platforms the more you understand those user experience and the more you can pick up any platform i mean mm-hmm. it's amazing when you sort of we go in and we present to the younger members of the, uh, of the insurance market and how quickly they look at it they go do you need a demo they're like no i click there i get that okay there i get that i get it. you know whereas the other guys oh god can you come in and do a demo so if i was going to do that what i'll pick up there oh, okay right you're thinking yeah. 
how can it be so intuitive and understood for others? But others just look at it and go, right, where where do I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think the more everyone engages with any type of platform, the more they're going to become tech savvy, the more they're going to pick up other platforms and um, understand the UI, UX. And so personally, the biggest thing I like the market to do is just try things. You know, we offer free, free, free trials, so no cost. Most companies do that now. Most SaaS companies offer you free trials. Jump on. Put some data in there. Do it for a small team, maybe, or you know, try it there. You know, get five of your guys to do it. See what happens. Um, but if you don't, then you are going to be stuck doing the same things because you're too scared to you yeah, yeah, yeah. because you feel one's too much of a commitment. And uh, I mean, we all know what people are like with commitment phobia in there uh, and technology. I know, I know. It's so funny because I, 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 I've just been through the process of just reviewing, a bit like you said. Like I, I've been, I've had the same. CRM system for a year now, not, it's all right. I'm not that happy with it. I don't think it's making my life easier. It's just, it's just doing its thing. Um, yeah. So I started looking at other products. Better than having a little back book, I can tell you. So it's yeah, <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. But, but the thing that I found frustrating when going out to market was the amount of people that wanted to charge me a, a buy the products and they'd all give me a trial, but, or at least a demo. But they wanted me to buy the product and then they want me to pay pay them someone to train me on it. And my thing is that if your product's not intuitive, when when I've been doing this job for 15 years, you know, if I can't work out how to use it, it's not very good. <laughs> yes or no. I'll caveat that by saying, well, LinkedIn, we can all jump on and use. Yeah. Right? Anyone can, yeah. can use both. Do you know how to use LinkedIn to best get your post seen to make sure you're engaging with the right audience to you know make sure you're giving the right message to people you know there's a lot that goes into using linkedin well as opposed to using linkedin so we all go on linkedin training wouldn't we yeah 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 of course we only need to know how to use a platform yeah yeah i'm saying this is because we sell training to- <laughs> 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 i've teed it up for you it's fine no because you you know obviously i mean that speaks to what i do you know, can can anyone go out and recruit for their own team? Of course they can. Can you do it as well as I can? No. <laughs> and 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 that's because there's a nuance to that. And and, and of course there is. And and it is things like because I do know how to use LinkedIn properly <laughs> because I invested in the training. But no, I think yeah. you're right. But I think I think um, I think it's I think it's that framework. The training should be about how to you make you use it like an expert. This is like just how to use it. And the training is the training is like, here's how you put candidates on the system. Here's how you put clients. So like, I can see that. So where's the where's the magic source? Show me that bit. Show me the really clever bits. You know. Yeah, um, I think you know, that's that's also another thing as well, you know, for to get that magic source, you know, it takes a while. You know, yeah. because again, you know, the assumptions you're making about what your client's magic source is generally isn't what they want. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for us, it was all you know, the data. People wanted to know who was looking at their profiles, who was engaging with their stuff. You know, we thought it'd be just them making contact. No, it's not about making the contact. It's knowing who's interested. Yeah, uh, making contact that doesn't even matter. I want to know who's looking at me. You know, why they've engaged with me. That was what we saw with people sort of main honeypot, and um, so that's what we've started really pushing now as well. And um, yeah, yeah, well, using I, it very difficult. I, I just had a, a, a couple more questions, and I'm very conscious of time. Um, you just appointed some non-execs, as, as we mentioned. Um, how important is a non-exec, do you think? Um, and, and what was your decision behind getting one involved in the business? Um, I mean, to me, I was young, 
looking at what I had to do and thinking, you know, the, I don't have the experience here. How how do I get that experience? You know, and um, as much as you know, I was keen, I was driven, I had all well, the sort of ambition that's needed within the startup. There's a lot that I was missing. So I really went out and I looked for people who could help fill those gaps in my knowledge um, that had gone through building companies, setting up companies. I just really knew the market better than I did and the new technology better than I did. Who could help me through those uh, holes and make sure that, I mean, obviously, when you first start a company, I think, you know, you get, you're full of excitement, you're full of bubble. And then you've, once you've just gone smashing through five or six hurdles and brick walls, you realise that there's probably a better way to jump over these hurdles if you saw them coming up. Yeah. You know, so anyone who can even just spot a hurdle for you, you're like, right, <laughs> come give us a hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we, we spread obviously the experience, you know, we, we've got some sort of knowledge on market experience, we've got uh, people who've done investment experience, um, we've got people who've run companies experience, and just sort of use them just to be a sounding board, maybe, for my decision-making. Um, obviously, as, as a sole founder, sometimes you feel like, you know, you're, you're making decisions, but if you're not bouncing them off people, you, you, you could be insane and just doing whatever you want, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone just uh, pitch those questions to and bounce them off who have been there, who understand the nuances, but also understand your company um, to the level of detail. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on within an organisation. Having a few people that understand it broadly across all areas is also very, very important as well. Mm. Um, you know, they can then sort of pull things together and go, well, look, why are you doing that over there if that's going on over here? And sort of look, looking down on it. Uh, whereas also the rest of my staff, they're in their, not silos, but they're in their roles. And mm. so yeah. for them, <laughs> they get very focused on that. Mm. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Helping with investment as well, introduction to investors um, is a big part of, you know, what a board brings. You know, they, they've got context. They can do introductions, open doors, and add credibility, really. You know, when, these, when you see people who have done stuff, who are well-known in the market, uh, and they are putting their own time, effort into a company, that, I think, reflects to other people who may not have the time or knowledge of that industry or company. Yeah, no, completely agree. And, and, and just final question, obviously, it's just, to, just to find out, yeah, what's next? What's what's next year going to bring for Insurecore? Well, for us, we hope to go um, international. Um, really, that's been our drive. So we've only been working very hard in the UK. We've got over 1,400 um, UK brokers, you know, about 80, 90 um, MGAs, also brokers, advertising products. Um, you know, we want to go more into the international, bringing business from across the world. You know, now it's all well and good introducing people locally in the UK. You know, but again, as we said, it's a very connected market. We do network a lot. We have a lot of relationships already built. But let's say we go to, um, you know, your Hong Kong, the Singapore's of the world, or even Australia's an emerging market. We could go to the US, and you then start to go there. You know, England is renowned for its lawyers and other markets, particularly for its insurance capacity, its insurance underwriting. If we can start to sell that digitally, so a broker in Peru picks up a mining risk. He comes on, he can instantly find a Lloyd's broker that can take him into numerous markets for him and the chain's off and off they go. There's no him going into his big city to find a market that gets passed to the US and gets passed it. You know, there's that compound brokerage gets onto that chain there. You know, if we can start to direct business directly from sourcing broker into London market broker or Lloyd's broker directly to insurers they need, that's when we can really start to see London market grow again. And, um, you know, I think we have been um, losing ground on uh, emerging and they emerged, emerged, recently emerged uh, markets. And I'd like to help sort of England compete in that space and by driving this sort of um, adoption of digital and opening up a 
digital shop window, really, for the London market. That is a lovely sentence to end on. So we're going we're gonna to take advantage of that and end on that. But Peter, thank you so much for being a guest. I really enjoyed that. And um, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's one of those lovely kind of non... I love having people on when like, they've got such a clear and obvious product that you kind of go, why, why is this taking so long to come to come fruition? But I know it's been long in the making, but yeah, now it's, it's up and running. It's, um, it's really exciting to see. So uh, I wish you all the best and um, obviously we'll stay in touch. Looking forward to it, Alex. Thanks, Peter. Yes. So that was episode 17 of the Leadership and Insurance podcast with uh, Peter Clark of InsuraCore. I enjoyed that one. Um, thank you once again to Peter for spending the time. Um, lovely guy. And um, I just think it's really insightful because it's something so core to the industry, the sort of networking element. And, it, and it's slightly challenging that, but but in, in a way it's enhancing it. And I, and I think that's exactly the, the sort of right angle is, is to sort of give people tools um, and opportunities to enhance what we do very, very well in the insurance market already. Um, and being more efficient is, is, is always welcome. So um, I enjoyed that conversation. Um, feel free to look back at the other episodes if this is uh, new to you. Um, the guests are different every week. So we have different topics to talk about we've got people that have been into the parametrics markets we've got mgas um, we've got people that have looked at kind of ai tools into the claims market we've talked about kind of ai tools that actually haven't worked in the insurance market and why not lots of people that are kind of lloyd's labs alumni and uh, everything in between so we're up to episode 17 we've got we've got many more to come so please like and subscribe to all the channels um, this comes out on audio and video so um, whichever is most appropriate for you um, i know videos can be a bit tricky but um I tend to like a podcast down the gym. I don't know about you, but um, we'd welcome your feedback. Um, if you want to feedback to me directly, it's www.wearefinpro.com. You can contact me via the website. Um, my name is Alex Bond, and you can contact me um, on alex at wearefinpro.com or, of course, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I hope you have a great day. All the best. <laughs>